0: Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So I might look like I'm back in my old digs, but it's just an illusion. Um, If you look closely, if you listen closely, it's not my old digs, we moved. And so my old studio that I used to record vlogs in is no more. Um, And the new house does have um, a partially finished basement and then some rooms off of that that are unfinished and I'm in right now one of the unfinished rooms. So I'm, I'm surrounded by cinder blocks and subflooring, um, yeah. And I um, duct taped the old red sheet behind me so it looks kind of like lipstick on a pig. It, lo- it looks like my old digs, but it's not. Um, so if I sound echoey, that's why, it's because there's no sound, you know, there's no carpet on the floor, there's no soundproofing or anything like that um but um in i think two or three weeks we're going to be getting contractors in here to finish this room with soundproofing drywall and carpet on the floor so um anyway it'll all look and sound differently then you might not know the difference anyway um, i know the difference i'm in kind of a weird environment right now but anyway um i want to share with you a question that a woman named maggie sent in so she actually wrote this in asking me to type of response to her. And I thought it was such a good question that I wanted to share it with you and share my answer with you because I thought other people might have this question too. Maggie writes, in a recent vlog you spoke about the brain as a cucumber becoming pickled and never being able to return to a cucumber. And it's the only thing I've ever heard you say that doesn't make sense to me. What about neuroplasticity and the healing powers of mother nature? Dr. Dale Bresiden, and I don't know if that is, so I might be mispronouncing his name, sorry, but um, Dr. Dale Bresiden has research showing Alzheimer's in remission, mainly through diet. There are breakthroughs in treating ADHD, depression, autism, OCD, etc. Nobody is saying your brain is screwed up and there's nothing that can be done. What is the part of the brain that becomes hopelessly pickled? Maggie. Great question, Maggie. Okay. Um... So first of all, a little caveat. I am not an expert on um, healing degenerative conditions um, through diet or whatever. Like, I, for example, I don't know exactly what the changes are in the brain that reverses or halts the progress of Alzheimer's disease when you change your diet. I know a little bit about Alzheimer's disease, you know, um, the plaques and the neurofibular tangles and things like that. I know a little bit about it but I do know enough that I can answer your question. (laughs) So here's the deal. There's two types of plasticity involved. When neuroscientists talk about neuroplasticity, what they primarily mean is the growing of new synapses between neurons and the strengthening or weakening of old synapses based on experience. Okay. So for example, um, there's this classic old study of, um, taxi drivers in London learning to drive a taxi cab. Um, London looks like a a pot of spaghetti that's been dumped out. If you look at a map, it's like really, really, really confusing stuff. Um, and the British are pretty particular that their cab drivers know where they're going. So you can't just like decide to be a a cab driver in London. It's not like you could just say, Oh, I'm from wherever, the United States, Pakistan, wherever, and like, oh, I'm just gonna be a cab driver. You have to take a test. And most people study for this test, like people in America study for the bar exam if they wanna be a lawyer. Like it's a test that you study for a year or two full time to take, okay? Um, So researchers at the University College London, long time ago, this is one of the seminal, original studies demonstrating neuroplasticity, they um took a look at the part of the brain that governs sort of spatial organization and spatial reading in people before they studied for this test and after. And afterwards, that part of the brain showed tremendous growth, increased complexity, development. Basically, the neurons in that part of the brain had... um Uh, the neurons themselves hadn't proliferated, but the number of synapses and the strength of synapses in that area had proliferated as the result of the studying that had happened over the course of that year, okay? Um, So that's typically what's meant by neuroplasticity. And these brain changes through learning, like through um, responding to the environment in different ways, they don't ever completely go away they just don't they don't ever completely go away so let's take pavlov's dog for a second um so pavlov's dogs like you you ring a bell and you present meat i mean i think it was meat powder but whatever you present food right and over time the dog learns that that's the sound of that bell means the food's coming so all you got to do is ring the bell and they start to salivate right that's Pavlov's dog. That's the deal. Ring the bell, salivate. Now you can make that response go away. You can make it go extinct. All you got to do is give my daughter, Maya, who's six, that bell for a couple of days in the presence of those dogs. And she'll run around ringing that bell all day long. And pretty soon the dogs will learn that the gig is up, (laughs) that like there's no food coming. That bell does not predict food reward like it used to. And they will now stop salivating to the bell. Okay, you've just made the behavior go extinct. Let's imagine that when we were first training up those dogs, it took, say, 30 pairings of the bell and the food to teach them to salivate in the first place, all right? Now, if I grab the bell away from Maya, I kick her out of the house, (laughs) I get the dog, I ring the bell, the dog doesn't salivate. Maya's just made that behavior go extinct. Fine. I take the bell and some food. I ring the bell and I pair the bell with food again. The dog eats the food. And later that day, I do it again. I ring the bell and I pair it with food. Boom. That dog will now salivate again to the bell as readily and strongly and robustly as it did before Maya made. response go extinct. In other words, the first time it trained the dog, it took took 30 pairings of the bell and the food to to make it a robust response. Afterwards, it took two pairings. You see what I'm saying? 30 and then two. What that means is that the part of the brain that learned that association between the food and the bell, it still knew it. The response wasn't there anymore, but underlying the brain's networks of connections were still there, okay? So yes, neuroplasticity happens, like Maya grabs the bell and now there's a whole different thing that's happening, the behavior's gone extinct, but underneath that, the behavior was still there, like the brain still knew the behavior. So with food addiction, what happens is a whole set of like underlying cue um, response behaviors happens, a whole set of, tr- of like, dopamine downregulation, and all this stuff happens, right? And what happens is once it's happened to the brain, given the same set of conditions, it comes back like that. The other analogy that I like to use is a dry riverbed. So, you know, it takes, um, it takes like millennia, right? For a, a river to groove a riverbed. Millennia, think the Grand Canyon, okay? It takes millennia for water over dry land to groove a riverbed. It takes a long time. But if you divert that water to a different pathway, what you've got still is a dry riverbed. And then all you gotta do is let a little water through and you got a river again. It doesn't take much after the riverbed is already formed to have a river again, if, if you've got a dry riverbed. That is that is pretty much the best analogy to what happens in our brain. If you're If you've developed The behaviors and the brain organization and response and chemistry and stuff you want to know the parts of the brain we're probably talking about ventral tegmental area nucleus accumbens and orbitofrontal cortex i don't know if that means anything to you but these are probably the parts of the brain that we're talking about you asked for the parts so i'm giving you the parts once those parts of the brain have developed the suite of characteristics of someone who responds to food in an addictive manner you can start doing bright line eating, respond to food normally, not be upset. Like like for example, me, um, I can serve cupcakes at my kid's birthday party and get frosting all over my hands and not even be tempted to lick my fingers. Like it's like I have paint on my hands. The stuff doesn't trigger me at all. I just go wash my hands at the earliest stop. Even if I'm outside at a picnic, on a field and there's no bathroom around, I still won't lick my fingers. Like I'll just, it's like I have paint on my fingers. I'll get a napkin if I can find one. If not, I'll just walk around like this until I can find a place to get this frosting off my fingers. The cupcakes don't bother me. The frosting doesn't bother me. I respond to someone who is not addicted to that food. That's my response today. But I have the brain of a food addict. So if I eat any of that frosting, if I allow water back down that river, I am back to full blown food addiction in a hot second. Like later that night, you would have to have a loaded gun and even then I'm not sure you could keep me away from the convenience store where I'm gonna go buy a pint of ice cream, like seriously. So I have the brain of a food addict, but I can respond in the world like someone who doesn't. This is a very different thing than